Welcome to Nobody Asked for This, a Diet Culture Takedown, Season 3, Episode 4. Hi, I'm Loki, an asshole. <laughs> and I'm Loki, an angel. Oh my gosh, that TikTok made me laugh so hard. <laughs> oh, tell everybody about it. By the way, this is actually Megan. And this is Kendra. Um, I'm the actual asshole. Um, (laughs) I guess it's a little bit of one of these if you know you know okay but there's like a sound going around TikTok where it's like you and your best friend and they're like usually one best friend everyone thinks is an asshole and the other one everyone thinks is an angel and the reason they get along is because the one everyone thinks is an angel is a little bit of an asshole (laughs) and the one everything thinks is an asshole is a little bit of an angel I I didn't even have to tell her who was who Oh, it's apparent right away. Right away. (laughs) I loved it. It really made me laugh. Okay, so on this episode, we record a dear friend of mine named Erica Nunez, and she talks a lot about her journey with PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome. It's something that I also have. It's a chronic illness. And if you want to learn more about that, guess what? You're going to have an opportunity to do so. Just keep on listening. Yeah, because the next two episodes are going to be centered around PCOS. Yeah. And there are interviews with experts, Kimmy Singh and Nicholas Salmon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope you enjoy them. We learned so much. So, so, so much from them. Yeah. And as somebody who doesn't experience that, doesn't deal with that, it was really enlightening to like learn about how weight stigma is so prevalent within that diagnosis. Are you listening to our mini series called the way down takedown? Dear God, please listen to our mini series. Please. We're having the best time doing it. We are. Uh, it's a very, very troubling topic, but you know, you got to process this shit with somebody mm-hmm. and that's why we're doing it. And then we want to offer that to you as well by listening. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. We learned some interesting information. If you, if you aren't aware, uh, Megan's in Nashville. I used to be in Nashville. This place is in Nashville. That's on the docuseries, the remnant fellowship. And so we got a lot of kind of connections around what's going on and we've learned some real interesting things, uh, Mm -hmm. some kind of word on the street type stuff that maybe Mm -hmm. we'll talk about at a later date. But one thing I had no idea about is that Lipscomb university, which is like one of the conservative Christian institutions, colleges, well, universities in Nashville has a, like a building, like, I guess called the Shamlin center or something. Theater maybe. Where, yeah. Is it a theater where they've, that gets used all the time. It's apparently one of their most pop, like, I don't know, one of the places that students are in and out of all the time. It's like, I wonder how many students have any idea what that name is right? associated with right? Wow. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, if you haven't heard those episodes, we have two released at this point and another one coming soon. We're not mm. being super strict about our release schedule on these <laughs> because we're doing the best we can. <laughs> it's a lot going on. It's a lot going on. We didn't plan to do this in the middle of a season, but the opportunity mm-hmm. presented itself and we said, yes. How could we have said no? Now, once we again, not no, Body asked for this series, <laughs> but nobody asked for the way down workshop either. So, oh. you know what I just thought about? I wonder what yeah. the Venn diagram is for people that health tr- troll, concern trolling about uh-huh. being fat, yeah, and people that won't get the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's a Venn diagram? You think it's a Venn diagram? I think there's an there's just a little overlap. Just a, a little, little overlap. A little bit. A little bit. Might just be one big. Might just one be big one big circle. circle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening. Listen till the end. We've got some fun stuff for you. Mm-hmm. In this episode, we are discussing some possibly triggering topics like medical weight bias. Issues around pregnancy, which I know can be hard for folks. And, you know, as always, our bodies, dieting, things like that. 
So if you find that triggering, please take care of yourself and do what you need to do. And as always, this podcast is for education and information purposes only. We are not professionals. (laughs) Please get your professional advice from the appropriate people. Welcome to Shut the Fuck Up, where we look at diet culture within pop culture. This episode is releasing on October 27th, right in time for Halloween. Uh, maybe, maybe we should get a side maybe we should get into sound effect world like I think we could be okay marketable yes you know not just like jingles but like anyway sound we'll just effects. put that on the back we'll, we'll talk that out as over episodes yeah. I love to get into accent work as well <laughs> okay you would yeah okay parents if you're a parent are you stressed about allowing your child to eat candy on Halloween adults are you stressed about eating your kids' Halloween candy? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Any adult, uh, children or no. Are you stressed about all the candy that is around on Halloween? Because we want to hold space for that. It must mm-hmm. feel really heavy to be a parent and feel in charge of your child's health and to be worried about candy. But guess what? It's okay. What? It's okay. Your child can eat candy and they'll be okay. In fact, if you kind of let them have some independence in this area and eat as much as they choose to eat, they will probably learn really valuable lessons around body feedback and body wisdom. And, oh, Mm -hmm. if I eat this much, maybe my tummy hurts. If I eat this much, I feel okay kind of a situation. Yeah. Let them have that opportunity because what's going to happen is eventually they'll habituate to candy and it won't be as like wildly. um, What's the word? They won't want it as much, which like, if they do want it, that's also just a neutral fact. That's not good or bad. Right. And then I know um, just Megan and I are not people with children. So yes, (laughs) I also want to be say, I know that sometimes my friends with kids are like, it's less about the don't eat too much candy and more about, I'm going to have to deal with the consequences of my (laughs) child having too much sugar. (laughs) And for that, we say you make the choices that are best for your family when it comes to Halloween candy. Yeah. And maybe there's a lesson there too you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's tough though. It's tough. And like Kendra said, we're not parents. So yeah, we barely understand what we're not okay with is your local neighborhood healthists giving out toothbrushes and raisins for Halloween. Who is doing this? Who is doing this? The carrots? I don't know. Or like, um, almonds, almonds, nuts, aren't candy unless it's in an almond joy. Or, or covered a, in chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Or a peanut M&M. Yeah. Yeah. Um, intern Eric and I wrote a little parody about this whole yes, situation. Oh my God. So good. So if you would like to listen, don't worry. It's coming up. We're going to put the audio in the episode. If you want to see it, go to our Instagram at underscore nobody asked for this. And you can watch the video. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Kendra. Mm-hmm. If yes, you yes, Megan, yes, 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 Megan. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Loki mm-hmm. Angel. If you were to go trick or treating today, this yeah. year, what's one candy you'd be looking forward to the most to get in your sweet little jack o' lantern bucket? This is such a difficult question to answer. I, I, I just yeah, would like yeah, yeah. you to know. So I'm going to give you more than one answer. Okay. Um, my, I I need to give you a chocolate answer. Okay. And then I need to give you a non kind of a pure candy answer. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So my pure candy answer is very easy because I don't love that kind of stuff as much as I love chocolate mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So that would be Haribo sour gummy bears. Ooh, so, so specific. literally my favorite. 
Yeah. Literally. Okay. Yeah. 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 I recently had an airhead oh. for the first time in like, like a mini airhead thing for like the yeah. first time in ages. And I forgot how much I love those two, but we're yeah. talking it's okay. When it comes to chocolate, okay. as long as it doesn't have coconut in it. Okay. Give it to me. Okay. I don't care. And the better, and truly I love, a I love a Milky Way. I don't get, or mm. not Milky, I do love a Milky Way. What I meant to say was a Three Musketeers. <laughs> the the nougat. nougat. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, say that again. Nougat. The way you said, I liked the way you said it the first time. <laughs> How did I say it the first You're time? You're kind of like nugget, 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 then nugget. nugget. But I, but then I'm like, oh, but Milky Way. Oh, I love a mug. And then I'm like, oh, but like a snick. I, just so I can't. But the um, bottom line is if it's, um, if there's one of them that is a full size and the rest are mini, then mm-hmm. the full size wins. Like, I don't really care, but correct but answer. Miss, miss me with anything with Coke and any of the coconut ones which isn't that almond almond joys of coconut um have nuts mounds 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 do mounds do is that the theme song the little jingle almond joys have nuts mounds no oh hilarious yeah Yeah. that missed me with that okay what about you well first hang on remind me what's in a milky way milky way is a sin in my opinion it's a snickers without the nuts Okay. Caramel, chocolate. I'm, I might be not a hundred percent correct. Okay. Is but, there nougat in that? Yeah. There's nougat and caramel. Okay. Okay. Cool. And I don't think there's like a cookie cracker in it. Mm, I like yeah. a cookie cracker. Okay. All right. So for me, mm-hmm. I like your distinction between chocolate and other. I'm going to mm-hmm. go with that. Mm-hmm. Chocolate wise. I want a Tootsie Pop. <gasps> really? I, yeah. You like Tootsie Pops? A hundred percent. Here's you're talking why. about you're talking about the owl. Yeah. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a yeah? I guess not a blow pop. Know. I don't want the gum in the middle. I want the Tootsie roll in the middle. Oh my gosh! I am the total. If if my choice is only that, it's the one with the gum. But it's okay, chocolate, it's, Kendra. I but I hate Tootsie Rolls, huh? Because it's not. I don't know what it is about like the flavor. Sure. Because okay. it's not. It's like chocolate flavoring. Right. It's not a, and that's what like draws me to it. That's what draws me to it. And here's where we differ. Yeah. Oh my god. But is you also like white chocolate. No, we are very oh. aligned. That's been we that was the basis aligned. of our friendship, Kendra. <laughs> oh my gosh I'm we'll so cut upset. that out I'm so we'll just upset <laughs> okay who did we talk about white chocolate with who was like all about it then someone else I don't know but it wasn't us <laughs> okay but here's the thing that I really the reason I love Tootsie Pops is because I love a lasting flavor like I love something that's gonna last me a really long time so the fact that's that like- it's a lollipop you get it for long time long, long, long time. And I love the flavor. And then I love the Tootsie Pop uh, reward at the end for getting through it. Okay. So you like the, 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 the staying power of the, of the candied flavor because mm-hmm. the Tootsie is like gone. Yeah. That's pretty quick. Oh, You're right. Snapped. Probably shouldn't have done that. Other candy category, non-chocolate. Uh-huh. Oh, so you put that in the chocolate category. <laughs> yeah. You chose. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Pop. I know. I know. You chose a Tootsie Pop in the chocolate category. Megan, I just don't know if I can take it. Okay. All right. Just like give me a second here because now you're going to tell me the candy. I just, <laughs> I'm not even sure what to expect from this answer. Okay. I'm ready. Pink Starburst. Okay. That's classic. I can, I can get behind that. What is the one candy that you're going to give away? Well, I'm not going to give it away, but I'm definitely not going to take it. Okay. And that, yeah. And this is because I am, I have very much paid attention to the Halloween horror story PSAs. So any, <laughs> so I will not be accepting any apples that could have razors in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is relevant in our times. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you, you remember know, that when we were a kid and they were like, oh, okay, yes, 
it must be sealed. Don't take anything home because uh-huh. it could have razors in it. It could have razor blades in it. As if From you your could neighbors. look at an apple and not see that it's <laughs> been cut open to put a razor blade in it. I guess they were like, but it could be dipped in caramel and then you wouldn't see uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes Either sense. way. No, it doesn't make any sense. Your neighbors, the people you live on a road with, are going to give you an apple yeah. with razors in it? That's just like the belief that there are sociopaths everywhere. Yeah. But that that is the one thing I will not be accepting. Or um, black licorice. Oh, correct. Yeah, I have to change my answer now to also black licorice. <laughs> but the other, yeah, that would be my like non-chocolate. And then... I think this is going to be a pretty unpopular opinion. Oh gosh. Like you think this more than the Tootsie Pop? <laughs> yes. I, I had no idea that was going to be unpopular. You guys uh, tell us, tell us in the comments when we post this on our feed. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us. Okay. Yeah. It's plain M&Ms. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I explain that. Uh, it's too much chocolate. <laughs> like I need a nut. Or, or even, do they make dark chocolate M&Ms? I'd probably like that. Oh my gosh. They they now make every kind of M&M. That's right. We've talked ever about this. Want. We have talked about Yeah, this. they definitely make dark chocolate M&Ms. Yeah. Now a peanut M&M all day, every day. Every day, all day. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Caramel is- M&Ms, every day, all day. Pretzel M&Ms with chocolate. Peanut, peanut butter M&Ms. Yes. All day, every day. All day, every day. The mint ones. No. Oh no. It was no, like no, a holiday no, no, theme. No, no, no. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, you know, this has been shut the fuck up. Don't hand out toothbrushes or raisins or apples with razor blades. <laughs> Y'all got that? Cool. Shut the fuck up with that. Eat candy and give people candy. <laughs> But there's low card treats and it all look good. Who you gonna call? Diet Busters! I ain't afraid of no food. I ain't afraid of no food. If a calorie counts running through your head, who can you call? Giving raisins out to the local kids. Who you gonna call? Diet Busters! Sour Patch Kids, Hershey's, Skittles, Tootsie Roll, Candy Corn, Twizzlers. Who you gonna call? Diet Busters! If you've had a dose of that freaky keto, baby, you better call. with Erica Nunez. I've been friends with Erica since 2012, I believe. We both lived in Austin, Texas at the same time. And while I was living there was uh, a period of time that I started to get into health at every size and sort of awakened to the harm of diet culture. And Erica was a huge support in this time in my life and still is, but I don't think I would be here today making this podcast without your influence in my life, Erica. And I love you so much and I can't wait for this interview. Oh my goodness. I'm not ready for Zoom cries yet. I just started. Back at you. I'm so happy to be here. Let's get to the good stuff. Erica, tell us your pronouns and your preferred size descriptor. That's a good one. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, hers, and my size descriptor. Mm. You know, I really like fat. 
just because it's so descriptive and I don't attribute a lot of the meanings that I did throughout my life to the word. So it feels really good and comfortable to use it now. I also don't mind like a person living in a bigger body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think probably those two. So one of the first things we normally ask our guests is to tell us about their body timeline kind of from growing up. But we would love to hear first about your experience being pregnant because you just had a baby and what that was like in navigating that world. Yeah. So the timeline of a pregnancy seems like a long one when you're living it because the days feel super long and your body is going through a lot of obvious and subtle changes. So Mm. it felt like a real journey. And I guess to get pregnant involved a lot of bodily feelings and new adventures in that way. I have PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, I think is still the term. And that presented a unique set of fertility challenges for me. And so a distinct sort of starting point for this feels like a time I went to go see a gynecologist and we were talking about um, my PCOS and talking about looking into possibly down the line having children. And, you know, the summary of the visit was she told me likely at your size and your body composition, you can't have children. Mm-hmm. And so I left that meeting just so I was reeling because someone told me who I thought was just a great authority figure slash knowledge holders that definitely (laughs) I wasn't going to have kids. And it just felt so, I don't know. It was just, it was really sad. But then I, I got angry because plenty of people who want to be pregnant with PCOS get pregnant and plenty of plus size fat people get pregnant. And this doctor was trying to scare me into losing Mm -hmm. weight. So that was sort of the journey. And I started to think of about myself as an expert in my own body at that point, because I knew that this person who I put all that power into was wrong about my body. So many, many years later, I started to look into getting pregnant and I knew that it was going to ha- likely have to happen through a fertility clinic for several reasons. One, I have PCOS and two, I have a wife. And so we knew that this was likely the route we were going to take. But then there was also, you know, a lot of research I was doing was saying that if you do have PCOS, you have to make sure that you are ovulating right? Because you should ovulate to get pregnant. And um, sometimes people with PCOS don't ovulate regularly. So yeah, my particular fertility doctor was, I would say as good as you can get in some of these situations where they want to tell you, you have to lose weight in order for your body to ovulate and then get pregnant. Um, Some people, some fertility doctors will say like, I will not work with you if you are not under this BMI. And BMI then becomes this huge central figure. And it feels so, it feels more suffocating than it already does, like Mm -hmm. in your everyday life. And we talked a lot about how BMI is bullshit. We won't go all the way into it here, but just a reminder, yeah. Well, yeah, we don't even, like the history is so hidden, I think. And you've talked about that in previous episodes, but it's just like, um, it's still so touted and it's still so yeah. important to so many people in medical, in the medical mm-hmm. industry. And so it just became this, like, again, really big thing in my life. It's like, I had to reframe it for myself. Cause I knew my doctor was never going to say something that <laughs> made sense or that was outside of this like concept of BMI. Mm-hmm. So I told her, look, I also have needs in this, but I also have a really big desire. My desire is to have a baby and I know you're trying to help me in this. So we need to find some sort of middle ground. And so what she said was, then we're going to think about it just like more food centric. So what we try to do is think about foods that are going to be really helpful to ovulating and getting, getting what I want. So it was, it was a really confusing time, I think, for me, because yeah. I knew that I really wanted 
to have a baby. And I really knew what that was going to take from my, from my body. And so what ended up happening is because this is all again, so BMI centered and so weight centered, right? Cause they make you come in every couple of weeks and get weighed and, mm. There's also this weird gross celebration that happens when you've lost weight. And I was like, again, this has to be my experience too. Yeah. So you mean not- while you're trying to get pregnant? Right. So this is all the work that happens before. Yeah. Okay. Because for them, it was weight loss as the goal. For me, it was ovulation. So it, ha- yeah. it looked differently. And I think that is something that was really unique and new to me was making my own journey alongside this whole large, long history of medical, medical industry that's obsessed with weight loss. Yeah, totally. So kind of that reframing was important for you, right? To be able to say, my goal isn't this. Right. It felt too big and exhausting to try to get them to reconceptualize their entire business and their entire way of seeing their patients. And especially I worked with a doctor who specialized in PCOS and her patients were so eager to lose weight. So it was kind of this cyclical Mm. thing that was happening. She was getting more invested in it. Her patients were getting more invested. And so to be an outlier is really hard because you're working against this history again. A cool thing that happened is at one point I was nowhere near her, you know, weight target her BMI target. And I said, I'm ovulating. I'm doing all the things that you've asked me to. I'm not at the weight that you want me to be, but I'm ready. Yeah. And she was like, you know what? You're right. That was a surprise to me. Yeah. Um, Because what I found out later is that their statistics are, are really important. Like um, fertility clinics get sort of rated and get more patients based on how quickly and frequently they get people pregnant. Mm. And so it was almost like fat people are like a risk for them. And that's how they see people in bigger bodies because they don't, to them, they don't get pregnant as easily. And to them, pregnancies don't, maybe they, they are less viable in their eyes, Mm. whatever. I think it's based on the person and not their body size. So anyways, yeah, long story short, we got pregnant. And on the very first try, y'all, that's really Myrtle. (laughs) It's just that even that is like an outlier. I mean, for anyone going through, from my understanding, what I've, friends who've felt, I mean, yeah, the first time they try and set your expectations really low, really low because they, the statistics are not in favor of the first time going, working out all the way. Right. It was a surprise to me that so many nurses and technicians were like, I don't know how anyone gets pregnant. Like it's kind of hard, like even quote unquote, whatever, naturally, like it's hard. (laughs) The timing is so specific. It is, but it's also like anatomy. And that was really a fun part for me is to like get to know my body a little more because it is a really truly invasive process. But if, again, if you're working to sort of like reframe what you want out of it, like I was like, let's take a look at these ovaries. Like I want to see, I want to know, because especially if you have a PCOS, like you, you start to think of your body sometime, or I did anyway, I started to think of my body as deficient or different or like unable to do things that I wanted it to do. And that's not true. Like it was really awesome to get to know a body that was, I don't want to, I don't want to say able because I don't want that to be like the goal, but it was working with you. Yeah. It was on my team. So I got pregnant and then that's a whole, like, that's a big shift, right? Because then you have to trust your body to keep the thing that you worked so hard to get. Yeah. And that's when I really knew that I had to trust my body in a way I had never, never done before. I know a lot of people have to go through this process where they're like, I trust that the baby's in there. I trust that the baby's doing just fine. But it was this whole other, it felt like this whole other thing for me because I had never trusted my body that much. And I had never, and that's because of things like doctors saying like, you're not worthy. Your body can't do this. 
and you need to make your body better constantly. Mm, yeah. And then, you know, the ultrasounds come and you're like, okay, I can start, I can start doing the work that I need to because a happy body, a body that you trust and you celebrate will do a lot better job than if you're constantly doubting yourself or um, putting again, that anxiety and bad feelings that other people want to put on your body. I mean, we've talked a lot about, I wouldn't tell my friend some of the things I tell my own self about not just my body, but you know, all the things, my personality, my whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like critical things. Yeah. Like we wouldn't say what you would say to a friend to your own body. Yeah. So like treat your body as your friend, as your partner as you're, I mean, you know, whatever you're in this together. And I'm as listening to you speak about, um, in some ways, I feel like there was a lot of that happening for you on this, like other level, because it, you were carrying that other person that you were, you know what I'm, does that make sense? What I'm saying? I don't know. No, absolutely. Like people say to talk to your inner child and then you like have an inner child (laughs) (laughs) and um it's like well okay next level um (laughs) you you took it there um no truly and I and I and I think it's good practice because when your kids external here externally you want to have set up those good practices I think like a lot a lot of other ways in which we're exposed to media around how bodies are supposed to be. I think that those same things happen to me, right? The ads for maternity clothes or for um, products to help through pregnancy. You saw the same kinds of bodies, which were very white, Mm -hmm. thin everywhere except for the belly. Mm -hmm. Um, And also your belly has to look a certain way. It has Mm -hmm. to be this perfect D. And I think that was the coolest first thing I looked up as I was, again, like I was, I didn't show until very late in my pregnancy. Um, and you know, this is all very specific to my experience, but, um, I learned about the B belly, um, for pregnancy. So everyone, you know, sees the perfect little D basketball low basketball uh-huh. <laughs> on an already thin body, but your baby, depending on, depending on their size, uh, and your body and its composition, many plus size pregnancies. I saw the belly was protruding, but also in a B shape, right? So it's not that slope to D it's two smaller bumps. And I see. It's, yeah, it's just because your body is likely shaped like that before, but it, it, it you know, accentuates accentuates your your lines and so you know a lot of people feel really disappointed when their body doesn't look like it's Mm -hmm. quote-unquote supposed to what did that representation do for you I mean so much because I think when you spend time looking at bodies that aren't like yours or just like yours or just a variety of bodies you start to break away from this like mainstream version of what you think you're supposed to look like I think it feels really good to see to see things before they happen to you in a way, because then it's not a surprise. You're like, okay, yeah, sure. My belly doesn't, my pregnant belly doesn't look the same as um, all these ones I've seen in mainstream culture, but all of these resources that I've looked into, that's my belly right there. Like that's It's almost like the whole, what to expect while you're expecting, there needs to be like a fat version. Please somebody... Right. Because it's a different experience. I, and I'm sitting here going, why are all of the fat bellies on television the exact same? Yeah, yeah. Like there should be diversity there too. So Erica, do you feel like your any of your identity markers um, affected the way that you were treated medically by your doctors? Yeah, there were several ways. I mean, obviously the one that we're talking about is definitely my body size. You know, there is a certain amount of weight you're supposed to gain while pregnant. Really? Yeah. And what I learned again, reading was that it's different for everyone. No kidding. Yeah. And if you are what people, what the medical industry would call underweight, you're supposed Mm -hmm. to gain a bunch of weight. 
during pregnancy. And I can't even tell you like how, how much that is, but it's definitely different like uh, levels. Right. If you're underweight, you're supposed to gain the most. If you're what they would say, like normal, Mm -hmm. or you also have like a, you know, less pounds that you're allowed to gain. And then if you're overweight, quote unquote, not quote unquote, definitely. Cause what is okay. Over what weight, but <laughs> you are not only allowed to gain the least amount of weight, but you are actively, you are actively advised to lose weight. I can't, I can't. While you are adding a whole human to your body. That is like one of the most ludicrous thing. There's a lot in the medical industry around fat people that is ludicrous, but that is so, it's insane. Everybody else is supposed to gain weight because they're growing a human. But if you are what they have deemed overweight, Mm -hmm. no, 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 you got to lose weight. That baby's supposed to take the weight from you or something like what in the world? Right. You know, you guys have talked about in your podcast, like when your body is stressed out or you're trying to do something that is going against its natural tendencies, it is not going to be good for your health overall. And so when you're trying to consider what's best for your body and for a new body that you're making, I feel like that's bad medical advice to say you need (laughs) to lose weight. I'm just going to say that not having an MD of any kind. Yeah, no, it's, it, it was, it's really bad. And I, I will say this, something, and again, it's very personal to my experience, but I had a fat doctor mm. who had a baby. Mm. And I really feel like that imbued my relationship with her with a certain understanding that weight isn't everything. Mm. And so I almost felt like she started to have this conversation with me about how much weight I'm supposed to gain. Right. And then she stopped herself because she knew that it was not good advice. And I think that's because she had a lived experience of being a fat woman and not everyone's going to have that, but I felt really lucky, lucky that she was not so persistent about my weight gains, which is I would say an atypical experience for people Mm -hmm. because most pregnant people that I've talked to, their doctors are constantly talking to them about weight gain or weight loss. And also they listened to me when I said, uh, when I said like, I didn't want to know like how much weight I had gained. So sometimes it felt really good to know because it it meant I was growing my kid well and, and I was doing fine and eating all the things that I needed to do. And then sometimes it felt really off to know. Um, And they were really great about saying like, okay, you don't want to know this week. That's fine. We're going to, you know, write it down for us and uh, we don't have to tell you. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't work for everyone. Some doctors will not take those requests seriously. And it's also very hard to advocate for yourself. Yeah. I think a lot of people, of fat people who ask not to be weighed are deemed hostile and then that affects your care even more. So I am all, I'm almost like hesitant to tell people to ask to not be weighed just because I don't want it to affect their care. So something that I do personally is get on the scale backwards. That's really great advice. And I think that it's really important to note that because oftentimes if you are a person of color and you already have a fraught relationship with the medical industry Mm. where they don't believe your symptoms, where they take your concerns less seriously to then again, ask to do something against protocol absolutely does add this new valence of hostility, of not following the rules. And also it depends on who's treating you, right? Because it's not always your doctor. It's going to be your nurse who treats you. And I've had a a variety of experiences with nurses because veteran nurses often have had this this experience before where someone says, please don't, I don't want to know, or I don't want to be weighed actively. And they, they say, okay. And then I've worked with new nurses who are like, oh, I don't, I don't think we can do that, but that's against the rules. And so, you know, I politely say, if you could just ask somebody, I'd appreciate that, but you're right. That sometimes doesn't work. And so I guess that this is in no way advice. This is just what's worked for me. Um, And I think that's really important because yeah, it depends where you are, who you are Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and then the reception. Right. 
I have noticed, or I haven't noticed this because I haven't tried it, but I think if you mention anything about disordered eating, even if you haven't been diagnosed with an eating disorder, but you have a history of disordered eating, which a lot of people do, just saying those words, they're, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> because that's right. a medical diagnosis that they can recognize. And that's sad to me. It's terrible. That you have to use the tools of the oppressor to get something that you really need, which is a medical attention that is, you know, sincere. And, and you you want to feel that way too. You want to feel that your doctor cares about you when you're, when you're at your most vulnerable, right? When you need help. You would almost think, I would just, there's like a part of me that would just hope that if you were asking not to be weighed mm-hmm. or to not see it, or, you know, that that would be that at the at bare minimum, that's where they would go oh, there must be disordered eating. So I won't, I will. Do you know what I mean? That you wouldn't have to like claim it out loud. Right. My guess is that that happens with thin people. Like if I bet if a thin person says, please don't weigh me, they probably go, oh, eating disorder. If a fat Mm. person says, please don't weigh me, I bet it's like, oh, well, they're in denial about the work they need to do. Weight bias. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of weight bias, Uh y'all. I had to get my blood pressure taken all the time, which that was important to me because I knew all of typical things that happened when you had high blood pressure and what that meant for like delivering early, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, let's talk about cuff size. So there's different ways, obviously, to get your blood pressure checked. The way I like the least is these like machines. Mm -hmm. So like typical to like go to the grocery store or the pharmacy and like sticking your arm, which my arm does not fit in half of those to begin with. It's like real uncomfortable, but the machines are always off because they have a standard cuff typically, and it's one size and it's really small. Yeah. So Something I learned how to do early on was to say, I need the larger cuff size, please. Because you get an inaccurate reading, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It always reads high for me if if I had a smaller cuff. So I, and they expect it to be high, right? So they're like, again, it's another level of information bias. When I get a large cuff size and it's done manually, nine times out of 10 for me, my blood pressure was perfectly fine. If you read it on the machine with a small cuff, I am dying. Like, mm. please take me to the ER right now. Like it is not okay. Like, and so that happened to me one time I went to what's called triage because I wasn't feeling the baby a kick for a certain amount of hours. And they tell you, you know, go in, get checked. We're going to look at your blood pressure and, and do a quick blood test. They were like, this is a medical emergency. And I said, please just try like a new cuff size. And they did it. And she was like, this is so strange. (laughs) Your blood pressure is just fine. And we ran all these emergency blood tests and and you can go home now. And what was the bill for that, Erica? (laughs) I, you know, I couldn't even tell you it's a, you know, it's complicated uh, financial situation, getting pregnant and staying pregnant. Yeah, I bet. But yeah, that's true. Like that's not free, right. For them to tell you that they messed up. So (laughs) I learned how to say like, you need to do, and then like when you're actually having a baby, Mm -hmm. they, when you're in labor, they, they put the thing on to like read constantly. And if it's too small and you have a bigger arm, like I do, it cuts into you, it bruises you and it literally hurts your body while it's trying to do a pretty hard thing. I would say, (laughs) um, maybe, maybe the hardest, you know, it's, it's, it's up there, Kendra, it's up there. Um, it's so, like babies, gallstones, <laughs> heart surgery, recovering from heart surgery. I don't know. It's just another thing where they kind of like ignore the needs of your body. If it's not within this like standard realm of what they're used to. And y'all, it is not bad to have diabetes. It is just no. fine to have diabetes. Yes. But I will tell you what is an interesting experience is for everyone just to assume you have diabetes based mm. on your external factors. Yeah. What you look like, how fat you are. And it's like even weirder when people want you to have diabetes because what it does is it just further justifies their sort of biases. And so, yeah, you get your blood sugar measured all the time, but you do a, a bigger blood sugar test called, do I know what it's called? No. <laughs> it's... <laughs> 
it's like a it's I like think the gestation one. Uh yeah, two hour fasting gestational, gestational diabetes, diabetes test. Test. Sure. I want to say the typical amount of times you get tested is between one and two times. So they'll have you come in, you get your blood drawn, they test it. And Are you then fasting? I believe I was. And then you have to drink what can only be described as flat orange Fanta. And <laughs> it's, it's real gross. And actually at one of the tests, I got a, a choice of like lemon, lime, fruit punch, and orange. In my opinion, orange is always safest. Um, oh, so you, yeah, you, you drink it pretty quickly. It's really gross. And then you wait two hours and then they test your blood again. And, um, you know, then they have ranges for what's, what's fine and what's, um, reaching levels of, of gestational diabetes. And so every single time you guys, I got tested, the person is actively surprised and like not trying to hide it. Yeah. Um, and Ugh. so how many times were you tested? I was tested three times. Hmm. Y'all, they really wanted me to have diabetes. They and sure I did. I didn't have it. Did they test you? Like, did they have reason? Did they tell you we want to do this again because of X? Um, you know, it's always this hidden language, right? It's the unsaid. We're testing you because you are in this weight category. How do you think being that while pregnant? affected how people treated you. The interesting thing about being fat and pregnant to me is that I didn't show for a super long time. And I will say that that was really good for me because in a lot of ways, I do feel like more of a private person, even though mm. I'm telling you all my business. <laughs> I, 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 I err on the side of privacy for a lot of reasons, but it allowed me the time to tell people I was pregnant and it allowed me to do it on my own timeline. And that felt really good. Mm -hmm. um, but it also came with the, what? You're five months pregnant? <laughs> what? You know? Would they say like, you're not even showing or would you're they not even showing? Like I couldn't tell. And a lot of that is wanting to say, I didn't realize that you were getting bigger or that you looked fatter or that, you know, because it comes as part of this stigma of not wanting to mention pregnancy because you might just be fat. Mm -hmm. And I will say that like people have asked me if I was pregnant before I was actually pregnant. And I said, no, I'm just fat. And it took a lot of time to get to that point. And so being actually pregnant and people still being real scared, even when you're, when I was pretty actively showing, which again was just like way later, people didn't know how to act. And they would say like really problematic things to you, which I will say is probably something that happens to a lot of pregnant people, not just fat, fat pregnant people, but just like calories don't count and you can eat whatever mm. you want. And isn't it so great that you can, um, you know, have extra calories. And I'm like, I was not worried about that before <laughs> and I'm not worried about it now. I know how to feed my body. Yeah. But it is really, really interesting. This like dance that happens because then when you are pretty actively showing if that happens, cause some people don't actively show. So that looks different for everyone. But when you are fat and then you have this like giant belly, people really have a hard time navigating space around you and, um, and acknowledging, I would, I want to say like your humanity, because at that point you mm. just become this like carrier, <laughs> like mm. this, um, this host. It's like yeah. really, it's really weird. And I will say a lot of fat people that I know already have felt that feeling before right um not being pregnant right so like just yeah. feeling like people don't know how to attach your humanity because you're just like too big for them to understand i don't know it's just it's bizarre but it's definitely like exacerbated when you're pregnant because they're just like i, I don't know what language to use with you mm. so i'm just going to kind of ignore it <laughs> the way you just said that resonated so deeply about being a fat person and having to claim or fight for your humanity yeah. is a whole thing. Yeah. 
I mean, I've had that experience, but I'm, I also have a lot of privilege in my life. So I can't even imagine what that's like when, with the intersection of other oppressions for people, you know, because I think yeah. that's probably true of most oppressions are that idea that you can become kind of an object as opposed to a human, you know, so. Right. Something that happens to like POC um, women is that this motherly characteristic gets put on you if you are a fat person and a brown person or a black person. And they, it, it feels like this safety thing almost. And it's really weird that that doesn't happen when you're like super pregnant and brown. Mm. It's, it changes to this really weird space. At least it did for me where people didn't know how to deal with a body that was already fat that got like super extra fat. Right. Cause there was this human. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. And also it, it was really helpful again for me to realize that pregnancy doesn't just belong to women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That non-binary and trans people get pregnant as well. Yeah. And so to really think about my language around that, around that when considering that not all bodies look the same pregnant that you don't have to compare yourself to other pregnant bodies that this is like most things a very personal experience and that that comparing can often be harmful to you and other people when you say this is what pregnancy is supposed to look like and this is who's supposed to receive this kind of care yeah so erica then you have the baby yeah (laughs) Everything went really well. I'm going to say that. Like Good. Everything. Everyone was happy and healthy and um, great. Yeah. Couldn't have asked for more. And then we're just going to move straight on into postpartum. So what, how was, how do you deal with fat phobia in postpartum? It's really strange. Obviously when you have a baby, your body changes Uh, my body changed the fastest it's ever changed in my entire life in that obviously the baby's outside of you. And so now you're left with this combination of like postpartum hormones are very specific. They're really different than pregnancy hormones. And so you already have, I felt super sensitive to everything and also then you are exhausted, but then the pressure is almost immediate from everyone to look very different than you did while you were pregnant, right? And I want to say that happens to most pregnant people, but I think people almost want to know immediately, are you smaller? Are you trying to get smaller? What are you doing? And they also want to give you all these compliments. It seemed really obvious to me that I was going to be a smaller person not having a human with me. But people take this as an opportunity to say. (laughs) That's so funny. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, why would that be a question? It's, yeah. But people are so excited to tell you that. That you're smaller. Hey, guess what? You're not pregnant anymore. And (laughs) you look smaller. Because they think that's a compliment. Absolutely. And they want you to know that they think that's better. And that tells you Mm -hmm. where their values lie. And that is really sad. And so when you're already kind of postpartum sad, and then you add like understanding that your friends and family like value thinness so much, it's a weird space to navigate. I, I have, I know of people who have had a baby and thought, oh, and then it's just gone. Like there's this idea that like, oh, all of it will go away. Like the stomach will go away, you know, and that's not true. Yeah. The stomach stays maybe a little, maybe a little, you know, seven pound, eight ounces less or whatever your yeah. baby was, but, yeah. um, but the stomach still stays and that often throws people. Absolutely. And I think who are valuing, th- who are valuing thinness. Right. Yeah. And, and the coolest thing for me as someone who's done a lot of work on myself in this way, like is saying I was a fat person before and guess what? I'm still going to be fat after. (laughs) And I think that took a lot of like the initial pressure off, but I will say you guys, no matter how much work I did, it still creeped in because you are looking at yourself all the time. Because again, you've gone through this radical transition in your life. You've carried this human with you for so long. And when they're not there, you're constantly 
in a way like feeling a certain absence because you get used to it. And then, so you're, you're looking at your body in different ways. And then these little things come in where it's like, should I be trying to lose weight? It, you know, obviously I know it's this expectation. Like, what am I doing to value myself right now? Like it gets really weird and blurry because you're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're maybe not eating in the same ways. You're not caring for yourself because it is now the need is so external, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this like relentless need factory that you love so, so much that you're not putting in the time for yourself. So then those outside pressures, they creep in. They really, really do. Cause you're not actively again, working on, on that part of yourself. And I think there's like this whole, I mean, the whole world of maternity leave, that's not what we call it anymore, but for bodies who have had babies to heal, right? Because it takes longer than you even get off of work to heal. And so there's this, but we have kind of collectively decided, or I should say the patriarchy and white supremacy has decided that you have to, you, this is how much time you get to heal. And somehow that then becomes, okay, so that's how long I have to get my quote unquote body back. And without a recognition that that can actually be more harmful to try and do things like that in that short amount of, you would never do that for other things. You never have that expectation. So, yeah. It's also interesting to hear all this as someone who hasn't had a child or been pregnant, Mm -hmm. because the things that I know that I've heard a lot about pregnancy and after pregnancy are weight loss. It's not about how you care for either after, after care for a C-section or after care for an episiotomy or all those things. Like I don't hear about that stuff, really. Right. I just hear about, well, I'm breastfeeding because that'll help speed up my metabolism so I can lose the baby weight. And I'm going to stop even saying those because I can see that in your body, Erica, that triggers you. And that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. And then also, it is really weird um, that your uh, body is getting used to, again, like just nourishing itself in a certain way. But then also, if you do choose to breast or chest feed, like that your body might drop an unexpected amount of weight. And if you're um, not used to that, or if you haven't thought about what that might feel like ahead of time, it could be really jarring. And so, yeah, that transition is, it was not linear for me at all. And so sort of like getting back to myself and what I valued about myself and like, again, celebrating the awesome things that my body just did and is doing Mm -hmm. and is like healing from what a lot of people might consider a pretty big trauma. And it's a, you know, it was, it had a lot of joy in it, but it was also like very scary and it's not that way for everyone, but like, it is a big deal (laughs) and to not think about somebody's healing and emotional mental health before what their body looks like is just a sign of how backwards things are sometimes and how we don't value like pregnant people's actual care, right? Or health. We value something else. Ooh, yeah. Do you want to talk at all about responses to that or? Yeah. The, the one thing I would say is that I would hope if you know a person in any kind of non-normative, you know, quote unquote, non-normative body that is um, having a baby or has just had a baby and you have a lot of privileges in this world is to actively say something to people who are putting pressures on those bodies to align to certain values of thinness of white supremacy of um, class, especially because like Mm -hmm. it, not everyone has the same resources and, you know, to make sure that you're actively being an advocate for those people is super important because these pressures are put on everyone who is pregnant and then they are exacerbated and at exponential levels for people that have different levels of oppression. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like be good, compassionate listeners and advocates for your friends, because we're watching and listening to how you treat us. Well, Erica, I hope that we can have you back and explore more about being a parent and sort of living out body neutrality and how to model that for your sweet little one. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you so much for (laughs) everything. 
you guys this was really amazing and thanks for letting me tell my story yeah it's i think this has been a really good conversation and yeah we haven't had anybody on that's that's talked really about pregnancy in this way right yeah i'm excited for our listeners to hear it yeah me too thanks for letting me come on and we will be talking soon oh hello hi (laughs) someone's hungry yeah. You listening to your own body cues? Good job. I want to know what the scariest costume you can think of is. Chucky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so a, a, a children's doll? If anyone out there wants to dress their child up as Chucky and come to my door for candy, you should skip my house. <laughs> <laughs> you want to put a sign up that says no Chuckies? I don't want Chucky. I don't want the bride of Chucky. I want anything in the Chucky franchise ever. And this is like why I hate Halloween. <laughs> what happened sudden, to you? What happened to you with Chucky? I feel like there's a story there. Is there? <laughs> there is definitely a story. When I was like, so I have a brother who's like 10 years older than me. So when I was like an elementary age child and he was like a high school about to graduate dude, he said to me, he had a friend over and they were going to watch a movie downstairs. Hey, Kendra, we're going to watch a movie about a doll. Do you oh, want to come watch it with us? Those little assholes. Yeah, no shit. So I'm like, yeah, because, you know, I'm like the about little sister who wants doll. to go hang out with my brother. And within the first, I don't even know, five, 10 minutes, I was running upstairs to my parents' room, freaking out. Oh, Oh my gosh. They were livid, (laughs) as they should have been, because guess what that then produced? Um, At least a month of me having to sleep in my parents' room (laughs) on their love seat with the lights on. just in their room but with the lights on. <laughs> oh my gosh and then I would and then it was with the lights off mm-hmm. and then Another it was month. in my room I mean it was like it was I mean it feels like a really long time I don't remember exactly the timeline but then it was moving to my room with the lights on and a parent in the room till I fell asleep mm-hmm until eventually it was back to normal. You know, my fears as a child, I'm going to get to my scariest costume in a second, but my fears as a child revolved around two things. And that was the devil and sharks. And they were everywhere in my mind, especially at night. The, the devil, devil was a, oh, yeah, like a, a never out. present. Yeah. never present uh, threat. Yeah. The and prince sharks. of darkness. Yeah. Well, thank you. Exactly. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. And sharks could be in pools. They might look like um, lights that are, you know, uh-huh. in the deep end or maybe a grate or a filter. Um, sometimes they were in the shower, like they were going to come through the faucet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And all that makes sense. Totally. Okay. So what is the scariest costume? It's either a bariatric surgeon or Jillian Michaels. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jillian wins that. Although Although I don't know bariatric surgeons. That's pretty what scary. What is that? Too. What's a bariatric? Those are the is. surgeons that do like the gastric bypasses and stuff. <gasps> oh, yeah, yeah that's pretty bad. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't actually. I'm not. I don't think Jillian's very scary. Yeah, it was she's... more of a joke than an actual fear. <laughs> I think it'd be more sad to see that somebody wanted to dress up like Jillian Michaels. Yeah, that's and this is where your angel comes out and my asshole comes out because I'd just be fucking mad. <laughs> I'd be like, get the that's fuck true. out of here with that. Unless it was done in like a I don't know. If we're villainizing Jillian Michaels, then yes, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah, but if it's someone who's like you're dressing up like aspirationally yeah form of flattery yeah Uh it's like yeah 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 Yeah. all right thank you for listening watch out for those pcos episodes coming out yeah they're gonna be real good and be sure to check into our the next upcoming mini series episode and then that will be on pause until the next two come out which won't be until 2022 which isn't that far away but gosh it sure isn't and that's the way down takedown mini series that we're referencing Also, Erica Nunez, this closeout song is just a little gift to you.
I love you, friend. Bye-bye. Anything can happen on Halloween. Your dog could turn into a cat. There may be a toad in your bass guitar, or your sister could turn into a bat. Christmas time brings the snow. Summertime brings the sun. But on Halloween, your blood begins to run. Something spooky is going down. Though.